You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 547 for March 3rd, 2021. On today's show, trumpeter Chloe Rollins. This show exists because listeners become members. Please become one today for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com/join. Take a second right now, if you would, to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. There are a million podcasts out there, and in order for The Jazz Session to be seen among all of the ocean of audio that's available, it helps if you rate and review the show. That just causes it to go up in the rankings and more people find the podcast. Chloe Rollins is a member of the band The Westerlies. Their latest album is a collaboration with past guest Theo Blechman. It's called This Land. And so once again, my dear Johnny, my dear friend, and so once again, you are fighting us all. And when I ask you why, you raise your sticks and cry and I fall. Oh, my friend, how did you come to trade the fiddle for the drum? You say I have turned like the enemies you've earned. But I can remember all the good things you are And so I ask you please Can I help you find the peace and the star? Oh my friend What time is this To trade the handshake for the fist? Chloe Rollins, welcome to the Jazz Session. Hello, thanks for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. We are going to talk about a lot of things, but uh, we're going to start with uh, an album that uh, came out uh, very recently uh, by Theo Blechman and uh, your band, The Westerlies. It's called This Land. Uh, It's an album that kind of hit me where I live because I spent a lot of my life as a union organizer uh, and, in fact, organizing for the union that created the Look for the Union label ad campaign. which is one of the tracks that's on this record. And a lot of this record deals with, um, you know, what I would consider kind of causes and ideas that are in my wheelhouse as a, as a longtime kind of lefty activist. Um, and then uh, beyond the mess message, the album is just gorgeous. Um, I mean, the arranging is so beautiful. The song choices are, are just masterful. So I guess I'll just start right out. This is obviously not very hardball, but I'll start right out saying congratulations on a, a really, really lovely album. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. Can you talk about how, first, let's set the stage a little. Can you, uh, for listeners who might be being introduced to the Westerlies right now, Theo's been on the show before, uh, but can you just talk a little bit about who the Westerlies are? Sure. Um, So the Westerlies are a 
um, we're a brass quartet and <clears throat> we sort of operate under the guise of a, a chamber ensemble, uh, given that we don't have a rhythm section or, uh, or anything like that. But uh, the four of us all come from jazz backgrounds, kind of mixed backgrounds, actually. A lot of us come from both classical and jazz backgrounds. So we're all, um, you know, improvisers, jazz musicians, um, but we, we have this group that plays a lot of true composed music. Um, it's sort of a amalgamation of classical jazz and folk melodies, a lot of Americana influences. In the year 2021, it's not, and you guys didn't just form this year, but I mean, in, in this time, in the 21st century, uh, a, a brass quartet making its way in the world is not the single most common thing to decide to do when the <laughs> phrase, let's form a band, <laughs> comes up. Um, I, uh, I know you uh, you weren't there at the you know original moment, um, but you've been a member now for, for quite a while. Can you talk about the Westerlies kind of as a concept? Like how... How did do you know how it even became a thing that uh, people decided to do? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So the band originally formed in 2011, um, and the four original members were all born and raised in Seattle. Um, so all four of them sort of moved to New York around the same time, within a, a few years of each other, um, to go to different music colleges, and they they started just getting together because they were friends and they, they were feeling homesick from home and just wanted to get together and sort of have that collective spirit going on. And one of the members, it was Willem, the, the trombonist, um, he had the idea originally to have the four of them just get together and play some music. And it's often said that had they played uh, guitar, bass, uh, keys and drums, then they would have formed a rock band. Um, <laughs> so originally the idea wasn't necessarily to form a brass quartet. It was just four friends getting together to play music and they all happened to play brass instruments. I'm glad you said Willem's name out loud because I probably would have forgotten, but will you say the names of the other three members uh, so that folks know who they are? Yes, absolutely. So um, the other trumpet player other than me is Riley Mulherker, um, and then the two trombonists are Willem DeCook and Andy Clawson. Now, as I hinted, uh, you weren't there at the founding, uh, but you uh, you came along later to um, replace another trumpet player. Can you talk about your uh, introduction to the band? Absolutely. So I've known pretty much all four of them since high school. I met them at the Essentially Ellington Festival, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's um, a high school jazz competition um, put on by 
Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra. Um, and I was there with uh, actually the Tucson Jazz Institute. Um, and the other members were there with their high school bands as well. So, and then I moved to New York around the same time as all of them. So, you know, we've sort of been in each other's spheres for a while. Um, and just, so that, that helps just already. And then Zubin Hensler was the original member that I replaced. And uh, he eventually decided that he wanted to sort of pursue his own musical endeavors with production and, and that sort of thing. So there was an opening. Um, and then the, the other members of the Westerlies decided to sort of have like a casual audition process, basically, where they, they invited, I think it was a total of 10 trumpet players to come in. And it was kind of just like a, a mock rehearsal sort of thing. And it said that I'm the only trumpet player who came with most of the music memorized. Um, and in the Westerlies, they, they perform completely from memory. So that was a big thing, I think. Um, but my musical sensibilities and their musical sensibilities are, are very similar. So it was just a very, um, it, it, it was just a match kind of from the beginning. Uh, it just felt really good right away. Let's talk more about that idea of musical sensibilities. I think when folks listen to this record, and I, I encourage people to listen to other Westerlies music uh, as well, because there's uh, there's more to hear. But I think even just in the course of this land, there's an idea of at least some of the scope of what you folks are comfortable playing, uh, because the album has a, a pretty rich field of music from which it selects and then the arrangement styles i think push those the edges of that envelope even further um so let's talk a little bit about those sensibilities how what do you how do you see the westerlies in terms of uh, i don't know musical style or musical affinities yeah so we sort of put on a lot of hats with um with our musical sensibilities, um, which I think you can hear throughout this album, there's there's moments that are really soft and um, and airy and breathy, which I think is sort of what we're known most for. Is sort of like the it's kind of like the uh, antithesis of what most people assume um, what would come from a brass instrument. You know, most people think of brass instruments as being really loud and and sort of brassy, I guess, is, if you will. Um, but we kind of like to um, go on the other side of that spectrum and really explore those like really soft and intimate um, parts of the instrument that that don't get expressed as as much. Um, so there there are moments like that, and then there are also moments like in um, you mentioned uh, look for the Union label. That's that Theo Blackman arrangement. That piece of music is is a bit more on the um, more like anthemic side of things and a bit more jagged. And so the the original concept of the the album we were working with the words refuge and, and resistance. Um, you know, it's the album sort of, or the, the project I should say sort of uh, came out of um, the Trump presidency, the, the original four members and Theo Blackman got together. I think it was in like December of 2016. Um, so right after Trump got elected and uh, they were just thinking like, we got to do something. Um, so the the project was sort of born out of out of this feeling of needing to do something in um, in response to uh, the Trump presidency. So, you know, originally it was thought of as a as a resistance um, album, but the uh, we wanted to we we didn't want it to just be like um, only you know harsh resistance music. We wanted to 
bring in these these sort of softer elements as as well. I think that's a really important point because the a lot of what gets sensationalized in media coverage of uh, resistance and rebellion is uh, a focus on. Uh, and I'm I'm actually uncomfortable with the way the term violence is even used because it's it's so carelessly used. But is a focus on what we would traditionally think of as violence. And uh, I'm not in any way opposing uh, violent uh, resistance against oppression. Um, I'm just saying that that tends to be you know if it bleeds it leads. That tends to be what we see when we think of resistance in the media. And um, I think it's super important to point out that there is more depth to struggle. Than, than just that, the kind of brash in your face part. Um, uh, there's a quote, uh, people can have their own opinions about uh, Che Guevara, but there's a quote of his I always liked that a true revolutionary uh, is guided by feelings of love. And I think that kind of thing is really, really important. And so I, I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate even more it coming out in this record, that there is there's a greater depth to plumb than just, uh, you know, we we dislike what's happening and here's another song about it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And we knew that so many people in our world were feeling just really distraught about the state of affairs and the state of the country. Um, and we knew that people sort of needed this sort of softer embrace. Um, and and we really wanted to, to give that to people uh, while also having a, a few pieces like Look for the Union Label that did touch on those, those harsher sides of things, but always going back to those feelings of, of refuge and, and just um, the softer side of, of resistance. Another holiday It's barbecue and pie The kids will run around And I'll sit on the side The shopping is half off Of course I'll help Clean it up Another It's gray and cold outside. I'd like to ask a technical question about performing as four uh, brass players and a vocalist. It seems I've never, uh, I, I do play instruments, but none of them are, are brass instruments. And it, it strikes me that when, when all four of you are essentially making sounds with your mouths and lungs, that the requirements for intonation must be incredibly demanding so that these like choirs and things that appear on the album are in tune. Cause it seems like if they weren't exactly in tune, they'd be awful. So I just wanted to ask about that. I mean, Absolutely. it's such a like exposed recording. Can you just talk a little bit about actually making it in, you know, in that circumstance? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And that that just takes lots of time and I think really precise intentional practice um, in the rehearsal process that we had. Um, and we had the great fortune of having um, two full weeks of intensive rehearsal in the very, very beginning of this project up at um, this wonderful uh, place called the Yellow Barn. Um, 
they they gave us a residency over the summer and a, a place to rehearse in the in the woods up in Putney, Putney Vermont. Um, so we had basically eight hours a day for two weeks straight where we would get together in a room and just rehearse. And that's where we came up with the entire program for everything. But apart from just getting um, into the music for the for the program and for the album, we also got into the really, really nitty gritty parts of, of rehearsal, like intonation, like you talked about. Um, and one of the pieces that comes to mind with that is the the first track on the album, the, the fiddle and the drum, the uh, Joni Mitchell track. And uh, that's like the 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 voicings for all of the parts that the that the Westerlies are playing on there are are sort of um, really open and um, those more open voicings uh, can can be really really hard and, and we're sort of up high on our instruments which is a little more um, challenging with intonation too so we, we actually would go through every single chord chord by chord just hanging on um, to our notes for for a few minutes at a time and all sort of like adjusting both our intonation and also our our, our uh, volume. Um, a lot of intonation can come from like certain parts of a chord uh, just getting a little softer. Maybe the third of the chord doesn't need to be quite as loud. Maybe it sounds a little out of tune, but if the person who's playing the third of this chord just um, plays a little softer, it'll suddenly just snap in place. Um, but that sort of combined with like, what if I try this alternate fingering <laughs> on this chord? What will happen if I do that? And then all of a sudden, okay, this is a little flat here, but you know, so it was a lot of just going through every single chord and just finding like what fingering is the best for this one and um, really, really intense, intentional uh, practice like that. Yeah, that you intense took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, I, while you were describing it, I was thinking of a you know a meditative practice or you know something like that that just requires this absolute awareness of of what's going on at a a fairly minute level of detail. It sounds it sounds like when it works, it must be incredibly beautiful to feel. Definitely, yeah. You just feel this chord sort of suddenly fall into place and, and it just like resonates really strongly and powerfully. And uh, there's, there's no feeling like that when four horn instruments are, are just all playing with really, really good intonation. I mean, we, as the Westerlies play so much together that we sort of can find those, those, those places of, of uh, being in tune fairly easy, easier than, you know, just four random horn players getting together. So we sort of know how to, how to fall into line and, and, and find those pitches fairly quickly. So it, it doesn't take quite as long as, you know, if, if it was just like a freelance situation and four horn players playing, playing together, we just, we know each other's playing so well at this point that it, that it kind of works out pretty, pretty easily. But it does take a while even still to, to find those places. And the other Westerlies like to comment too that it took them years and years and years to finally learn how to play in tune. Um, I mean, you know, playing in a brass quartet without any sort of, piano to to tie it all together can really make that tricky given how long they say it took them how long did it take you to feel like you had really meshed in with what they had already created that's a great question um it definitely took me a second to sort of find my my place because they had already been playing together for i think seven years before i joined um so i definitely felt 
some sort of pressure to like, you know, quickly find my my place in there. But I I think I found it pretty quickly. I mean, I come from um, playing a lot of classical music and and playing um, playing with a lot of like smaller chamber ensembles already. So I I feel like I my ability of, of sort of fitting into a sound is it's pretty strong. That's that's one of my strong suits. So it was actually a fairly quickly process. Actually, I think I think they were all pretty happy with how quickly it sort of locked into place. At least I hope so. <laughs> it seemed like they were they were happy about it. <laughs> yeah, I think at this point you probably would know <laughs> if they if they were unhappy with how it was working out. <laughs> true. Yeah. Very true. Last week, the Jazz Session celebrated 14 years as a podcast. It's really unbelievable, <laughs> quite honestly. If I try to think about how long I've been doing this, it uh, it makes my mind hurt just a little bit. The reason I've been able to go for so long, and hopefully will be going for many more years to come, is that folks like you, who enjoy the show, who've been listening for years, or who just found it because of today's guest, become members. It's pretty easy, it's pretty cheap. It's a buck twenty-five an episode at the $5 a month level, and for that, you get a bonus episode every single week called Track of the Week, which is, you know, usually between like six and ten minutes. Uh, it's an artist talking about a track off one of their records, and then you get to hear the tune itself. Then, if you're at the $10 level, which is, what is that, two fifty an episode? Math is not my strong suit. You uh, also get, in addition to Track of the Week, you get a monthly bonus episode, which is kind of like a mystery episode. Um, it's... It can be talking with a jazz journalist about an issue. It can be talking with a jazz fan about an album they like. Uh, you name it. And in fact, it's been talking with jazz musicians about albums they like, as a matter of fact. So uh, please go to thejazzsession.com slash join. That's thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member today. It makes such a difference. I live in a van. I live on less than a thousand bucks a month. Your memberships have an enormous impact on my life. Thanks. Back to the show now. I'd like to step away uh, from the album for a moment and, and focus more on you. And we did talk before we started recording about the subject area we're going to go into now. And I just want folks to know that because it, uh, it, it could sound like I'm being invasive otherwise. Um, you're a, a trans woman, and um, that's uncommon in jazz, uh, a, a world which, uh, at least to my eye, is still very male-dominated, very misogynistic, um, and at least as far as I've been able to see, does not have a lot of trans folks in it. Um, so I guess I wanted to ask about your, your kind of experience generally, whatever you'd like to say about that. But also my understanding, and please correct me if this is wrong, is that you came out to folks, I think on the day that you got offered the gig in the Westerlies or, or, I mean, very, very close. So I'd like to hear about that too. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I came out actually the day before the Westerlies announced me as the member. I'd already been playing with them sort of um not in secrecy but you know just it was it was sort of under the radar they hadn't made the announcement yet of who was going to replace former member zubin um 
but that was, that was actually a, a calculated decision to, to do it that way. Um, I, I had been transitioning for a few years, just working as a freelance musician. And um, the idea of coming out as trans just as a completely freelancing musician was terrifying to me because um, I had been living and working in New York City for about seven years at that time. And um, all of the um, experiences that I had had up, up to that point showed signs that, you know, there's a lot of hostility towards queer folks, a lot of hostility towards um, trans people. Um, and I, I had convinced myself that um, if I came out as trans, then I would lose a lot of, you know, work possibilities and, and people would not want to hire me for, for shows. Um, and um, the Westerly sort of just popped up at this really incredible, incredibly perfect time um, during my transition that I'd been sort of going through um, on my own and private. And um, <clears throat> the uh, the timing of it just, yeah, it couldn't have worked out better. Um, what They asked me to join, I think in April of 2018. And it wasn't until a few months later in, in August that they announced me. And they, they were great. They actually asked me towards the beginning if they wanted to, if I wanted to delay the announcement so I could sort of get all my ducks in a row and uh, and figure out what I wanted to do with that. But um, um, I just, I, I saw it as a perfect opportunity to to just come out. Um, and, I, and I knew that if I waited until after they made the announcement to come out, then it would just sort of be like this double extra thing of like, you know, having to come out after being announced in this group that was already, you know, pretty, pretty known in, in the New York world. And it just felt like the easiest thing to do would be to come out right before uh, them announcing me so that they could just announce me as who I really am, which is Chloe Rollins. So, so that was all sort of a, a calculated decision on, on our end just to make, um, make it all feel really seamless and, and easy. Having, having this sort of form, this group that was already formulated that I can kind of just like assimilate into made it a lot easier for me rather than if I had just been continuing as, as a freelancer complete. Um, so it kind of gave me the, the courage to, to finally come out as a, as a trans person. And because I, I knew that I didn't really have to worry about getting gigs anymore. So I just already had this sort of like full-time job locked in. So I didn't, I didn't need to worry about what it would be like um, just like in the jazz freelance world as a, as a trans musician, because that honestly is terrifying for me. Cause I, to this day, I don't really, I don't know any other trans jazz musicians in New York city. So I'm, I'm really just, I feel like I'm, out here on my own doing it. I'm never sure whether to, uh, you know, to give people cookies for what should be basic human decency. But, um, but I do want to point out that it does seem cool that the other members of the Westerlies acted how it sounds like they acted, uh, you know, were, were yeah. welcoming and recognized your humanity. Absolutely. Yeah. I am so grateful for, for how they handled it during, during that really, um, intense time for me. Um, they were so patient and um, just very accommodating, and I think it, it just like quelled a lot of my anxieties that was happening. I, I was having around it. It kind of also like destroyed a lot of ideas I had about 
um, what I mentioned before about feeling like if I came out, I wouldn't have any work or people wouldn't want to hire me. These, these folks in the Westerlies, they asked me to, to join knowing that I was trans and, and about to come out. So, um, you know, I'm thinking of like a different scenario where, where if a group of three cis men find out that someone they want to work with is, is trans and maybe, or, and about to come out and, and they just think like, oh, that sounds like a lot to deal with. I think we don't want to deal with that. You know, instead of that, they they just fully embraced it and and just wanted to work with me. And I'm I'm just I'm just grateful for for the way that they handled it and how welcome, welcoming they they were, regardless of you know the the, the scenario because it was very intense for me. Um, and honestly, still remains to be that way. Still <laughs> still figuring out my place uh, in the world with all of that. But. Um, yeah, this is not Very ancient history we're talking about by by any means. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Just a couple years, uh, just a couple years ago. So, um, and it, it was it was definitely a lot. Just um, right upon coming out, just joining this this group that was touring constantly. So, you know, I, I didn't get like this grace period of like having like uh, training wheels or something like that. I feel right. like I just got thrust into like a really intense <laughs> like touring band immediately after coming out and, and like you know it's not like we're traveling to like LA or these like super liberal places we're going to like the midwest and to the south and right. um so I just like immediately upon transitioning and coming out I'm just like okay we're going to Mississippi this weekend okay yeah you I know, guess I'm so, coming so all the like, way out <laughs> yeah right exactly yeah. so so it, it was wow. def- it felt I, I I often sort of talk about it as the like sort of it felt like I was running alongside of a a train trying to like catch up with it and like jumping on it and sort of like getting my bearing you know it's like a a fast speeding train that I that I you know that that I jumped onto yeah it it definitely felt like a really intense experience and just sort of like assimilation into this new life because it was a a doubly new new life of, of joining this like touring band that was already working a lot um and then doing that also while um, finally presenting as, as I wanted to. I just I have just one more question on the, kind of in this topic, although you're welcome to say as much more about it as you like. But um, obviously, for the last year, things have been different. But you you did get at least uh, a decent chunk of time to actually be out there touring, as you just mentioned. And I wonder if you've had the experience of um, any other trans folks in the audiences coming up to you just because you're probably the first trans improviser who's ever been in front of them. Uh, I'm just curious about if, if anything has happened, you know, kind of in that vein. Yeah. Um, I've had a few experiences here and there in person after concerts, but um, not, not as many as you'd think. I mean, a lot of times 
if we're at like a college or something like that, I'll get a, a handful of, of queer folks, not not always trans people, but um, you know, a lot of times like some queer students or something, but every once in a great while, a, a trans student, I mean, also the student could also maybe not be out yet and they, they could be um, a closeted trans person too. And, and, and so there's, there's a chance that I might be interacting with people who are trans, just not outwardly so yet, which is, which is always, you know, great knowing that I, I could be really influencing these, these uh, younger students and, and showing them that you can be who you are and, and still succeed in the world. Um, I've definitely had quite a few people on like Instagram reach out to me, just thanking me for, for being, you know, genuine and who I am. And um, I've, yeah, I've had a couple of younger trans people tell me that I gave them the strength to come out themselves, which is really, really awesome. Um, and, you know, I, I never had anyone like that for, for me growing up, you know, um, not even in the media, there, there just, there was never positive representation of trans people ever for me growing up. So knowing that I'm able to be that sort of positive representation for younger trans people just makes me feel great and, and that, that I'm doing, doing the right thing. I mean, you're, you are, I said I didn't have anything else to say, but apparently I was wrong. You, you are absolutely a, a pioneer in the, I mean, I'm going to say the world of improvised music. I mean, I don't, I think it's, it's broader than that. I mean, there are, there are other well-known trans folks in kind of the music world writ large, but not that many. Um, and certainly in this world, I mean, this, you know, this little community in which I operate, I mean, you know, you, there is no edge ahead of which someone else could be you know there you're just you're right there on on the on the edge and i i mean i i i couldn't possibly uh have more respect for what you're doing or think it's more important i mean you know it the fact that we're having this conversation because well the fact that we have to have this conversation is a one problem and then the fact that we're having this conversation because there are no other examples like i'm having it with you because there's no one else to have it with um is sure, another yeah. you know another another problem um but the the only the only way unfortunately to deal with either of those problems is to have examples of people who are living authentic lives inside this music and so i mean i you know i i just i applaud in every possible way at every level uh you know who you are and what you're doing um yeah working with working with someone like theo blackman is really has been really empowering in that way too because um theo has been you know an outspoken gay man for for decades now back when in the jazz world back in like the 80s that was not a very socially acceptable thing at all for so, sure um, seeing the strength that he's exhibited with his um, his his sexual identity and and just who he is as a person has has been really um, really incredible to to witness and just experience and and just to be around him he's so he's such a powerful person that um, who just makes me feel so empowered every time I'm I'm around him not to mention he's also just such a hilarious and, and amazing human being. Um, but, but just the fact that he was out and proud and loud about being gay back in the eighties and nineties when, when that was really frowned upon and, and, and society at large, but especially in the jazz world, um, just, you know, it's, it's been such a wonderful experience getting to work with someone like that. Wind in the 
Let's take another break to thank the people who make the Jazz Session possible, starting first and always with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, Dave Rabel for the logo, and Chuck Ingersoll for the voice in the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the Jazz Session. Take a second right now, as I mentioned before, to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to keep up to date on my travels, my poetry, and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the show. Let's turn our attention uh, kind of back to uh, music specifically and particularly the Westerlies and what else um, y'all have coming up. I mean, obviously, it's been a weird time where performance is concerned, but I'm curious about, you know, what uh, the Westerlies are working on uh, or what you might personally uh, be working on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're still sort of in this area, as I'm sure most other ensembles are at this point of, of trying to figure out how to come back together and how to how to keep going and figuring out what sort of timeline we're working with when when it'll be safe to we actually have our very first performance in over a year coming up in April um it'll be a live stream performance happening online where we're playing uh in person but you know streaming streaming out to other folks so that's our very first performance in over a year the last time we all played together was in uh, February 29th, it was the leap year last year. So we had our last, very last concert, our album release show, um, not the Theo album, but our um, our most recent quartet only album called Where In Lies The Good. Um, we had our, our last performance for that about a year ago. <clears throat> so, um, you know, we, we still we still don't really know exactly the timeline for, for when things are gonna start popping up again. So it's kind of hard to Hard to know, but we have we have plans of trying to get together, and um, we've been working on this really incredible Caroline Shaw string quartet called Untracked. Oh I'm wow! Sure if you're familiar with that? But, uh, um, yeah, I am, and also with just with Caroline in general, and yeah, that sounds pretty fabulous. Yeah, she's she's amazing, and this piece of music is incredible. We we really want to find a way to record it sometime in the near future, and and to release that. Um, What's the best way for folks and to find out about the live stream show? If you follow us on our social media pages on Instagram or our Facebook, we um, we post all of our performance information on there, as well as our, our website, uh, westleymusic.com. That's great. And I'll put links to all of that in the show notes, folks. So if you're listening, you can uh, just look in the in the show notes, however you're listening on the website or on your phone or whatever, and all the links will be there that you need. Great. Yeah, thanks for doing that. Um, and we, we're also in conversations with um, this wonderful pianist composer Conrad Tao, who uh, recently has composed pieces of music for the New York Philharmonic. Um, and he's a, a young, prodigious 
um, super talented, both composer and, and pianist. And uh, currently in conversations with him about having him write us sort of like a, a concerto for Westerlies and orchestra kind of, kind of thing too. So um, something else to stay, stay tuned about. Um, really excited to see what, how that's going to take shape, but uh, it's still pretty early on in the process with that. But um, it's kind of always been a dream for the Westerlies to work with a full orchestra. So, so that's, you know, a really, really exciting possibility of that happening. Oh, that's great. And Conrad Tao is a new name to me. So I will definitely, uh, I will definitely check out his music because I am always, always excited to find new people. He's a force, just an incredible pianist. My guest for this show has been Chloe Rollins. She's part of the Westerlies, a really wonderful brass quartet. Uh, You should check out their music, um, both uh, released just the four of them, and also the album we've mostly been talking about in this interview, which is called This Land, which also features the fabulous Theo Blechman. Uh, There are at least... There are one. Thank you. Yes, uh, there is at least one previous interview with Theo. There might be two. I can't remember. <laughs> it's been 14 years. I don't remember everybody who's and how many times they've been on the show. Uh, but there's definitely at least one with Theo in the archives. Uh, Chloe, it's just been such uh, just so much fun and also such just such an honor to talk to you. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And I, I want you to know the door is open anytime you want to come back and and talk about what's happening either in your own musical uh, pursuits or with the westerlies thank you jason I, I appreciate that and thank you so much for for having me on the show i i it was wonderful to talk to you Thanks so much to this week's guest, Chloe Rollins. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Just a note, by the way, that if you do want to follow my van travels on Instagram, you can go to instagram.com slash vanarchism. It's just the word anarchism with a V at the beginning. You can also go to patreon.com slash vanarchism to get essays and exclusive videos and all kinds of cool stuff. So come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.